John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. If you have your Bibles, open them up, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 4. Today I'm going to continue the second part of the series that I've simply titled, A Biblical Perspective on Lent. And um, if you remember last week I shared with you um, the introduction to that and, and primarily what Lent is and a little history about Lent. And, and uh, really, for the most part, Baptists don't really practice Lent as much as maybe the Catholics and uh, the Lutherans and Presbyterians and possibly even the, the uh, United Methodists do. Uh, but it's something I think we need to pay attention to, and it's something I, I think we need to understand what's taking place. Matter of fact, the Lent season is 40 days prior to Easter. It always starts on that 40th day out from Easter. They never count Sunday in the Lenten season. Uh, and it starts with Ash Wednesday, and you count 40 days in, and you get to Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And that season, that time frame, is what's known as Lent. Now, Lent is a time when we, as Christians, as believers, when we just pause and reflect and maybe get out of the normal routine of life, change things up a little bit, so that we can reflect on the suffering and on the crucifixion, the death, and then eventually the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the 40 days of Lent are significant to the, the 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by, by Satan. As a matter of fact, it started out as 40 hours originally when Lent was put together, and it was time spent fasting to uh, commemorate the suffering of Christ. In the 3rd century, it went from 40 hours to 6 days. And then in, in 800 A.D., it, it changed from 6 days to the 40 days that it is now, and it's been that way up to this time. But what it is, the 40 days of Lent, is really they pull it out of these, these 40 days in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. So this morning I want to share with you a message as we think along those lines on how to handle temptation. And we're all going to be tempted to sin. We're never tempted to sin by God. We're tempted to sin by Satan himself. And temptation is always going to come to us. Now, we are tested by God. God never tempts us to sin. God is holy. He would never be able to do that. He never does that. But he will test us in our faith to see where we are. And the temptation to sin, we must understand, always comes from Satan himself. And I want to try today with the Gospel of Matthew, using that text briefly, then jumping over to the book of James chapter 1, and I want to share with you this thought on how we are to handle temptation whenever it comes our way. So in Matthew's Gospel chapter 4, and verse number 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And then the tempter approached him, and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But he answered, It is written. And he's going to quote Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. He says, Man must not live by bread alone, 
but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The second temptation we see in verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus told him, It is also written, and he's going to quote Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 16. And he says, do not test or tempt the Lord your God. In verse 8, we come to the third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said unto him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus told him, go away, Satan. For it is written, and now he's going to quote Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 13, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And look what takes place. Then the devil did what? Left. Then the devil left him and immediately angels came and began to serve or minister to him. Guys, there's only one way to make this message. Let me give you this message in one sentence. The way you handle temptation is you quote scripture to the devil. That's the only thing that's powerful enough to make the devil flee, to make him run, is when you confront him and you fight this battle with the word of God. But you know me, we can't stop right there. We've got to go a little bit deeper into this. But that's the sermon in a nutshell, okay? We see that's how Jesus, he modeled it for us on how we handle temptation, how we confront temptation. Whenever we are tempted to sin, how do we handle that? And, of course, obviously we do it by using, using Scripture. I think just by way of introduction, you can look at the temptations that Jesus or that Satan gave Jesus, and you'll see that his pattern never changes. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and you'll see the parallel between the temptation that he gave Eve there in the Garden of Eden and the temptation that he brought to Jesus here in the wilderness. It's the very same thing. We look back, and first of all, in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 1, it's the appeal for the physical appetite. You remember what Satan told Eve in Genesis 3, 1? He says, you may eat of any tree in the garden. Of course, he's misrepresenting and misquoting the scripture. We all know that. But it's the same temptation. And then he brings to, comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. And he says, you can eat bread if you just change these stones into bread you too can eat. So he came with that desire that we all have to eat to both Eve and Adam. I'm going to unpack that a little bit more in here in just a moment. So he, he addressed the physical appetite. But secondly, he also, he, he brought appeal to personal gain. In Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 4, he told Eve, you surely will not die. I mean, there's personal gain. You'll live forever. You're not going to die. And there's the personal gain that he tempted Eve with. And, of course, I don't think he really knew who he was talking to when he talked to Jesus because he tempted him with the same thing. He said, you will not hurt your foot. Now listen, that's Jesus, okay? And uh, he's certainly omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful. Uh, but he tempted him with the same thing. And then the, the third temptation is the appeal for power or for glory. In Genesis chapter 3, he told Eve, he said, you will be like God. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 5. In Matthew's gospel chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, he tempted Jesus with the same thing. He said, you bow down and worship me and, and you will have all the world's kingdoms. 
Okay, so really his pattern never, ever really changes. And that's what I want to address. And that's what I want to talk about. And I want you to see how we are to confront and handle temptation whenever it comes our way. Go to go to the book of James, chapter number one. I want you to look verse 12 and through verse number 18. And we're handling the subject on how we as individuals are to handle temptation whenever it comes our way. In James chapter 1 and verse number 12, the Bible says, A man who who endures trials is blessed, because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. That's just what I said a while ago. There's the chapter and verse to back it up. He himself does not tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dearly beloved brothers. Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With him there is no variation or shadow cast by turning. By his own choice, he gave us a new birth by the message of truth so that we would be the first fruits of his creation. Now, I just want you to understand that there will be trials that will come your way, even as a believer, as a child of God, we'll all be faced with trials. I want you to see that sometimes the trials will be testings on the outside, and then sometimes there'll be temptations on the inside. Now, the trials may be a test that is sent by God, or it may be a temptation that is sent by Satan himself to get us to sin. There is a difference. Tests always come from God. Temptations always come from Satan himself. And we're going to talk a little bit about how we overcome these temptations whenever they come from Satan. I read the story about little Alexander. Little Alexander was a small boy and he got a little weekly allowance and he wanted to buy a new baseball bat. And so every week he would save his change and he would save his little allowance and he would put it in his piggy bank and and he wanted to save. But it was extremely hard for him to save money. And he wanted to buy this baseball bat and his parents said, save the money and you can buy the baseball bat. His mother came by his bedroom one evening and heard him praying, overheard him praying. And he said a prayer something like this. He said, dear Lord, please help me to save the money for the baseball bat. And God, please don't let the ice cream truck come down my street tomorrow. <laughs> He's blowing all of, his money, all of his money on ice cream. Uh, certainly God does not want us to yield to temptation. So let me try to help you with this. I believe there are three facts that we must consider if we are going to overcome temptation that comes into our life. If you have your worship folder, your bulletin, I want to encourage you to take it out. Flip on the back side of it. There's a place for you to jot down some notes. And step number one is this. In order for us to overcome temptation, we must consider God's judgment. We must consider his judgment. Well, what is his judgment? I just read it to you in James chapter 1 and verse 13 and following. It says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil. He himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted, get this, 
when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then, it says in verse 15, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has fully grown, it gives birth to death. Now, I realize we're starting out here with a negative approach. But I want you to understand, whenever we're being tempted by Satan, the first thing I want you to consider is God's judgment. And what is God's judgment whenever we sin? The Bible plainly says that the ultimate end, uh, the end of sinning is what? Death. It plainly says that. And so God is wanting us to look ahead. He wants us to look ahead to where the road of sin will lead us. Now, the Bible says that there's pleasure in sin for a season, and that is, my friends, very true. For a short period of time, you will have fun. But the end of the road of that pleasure of sin is death. And when I'm talking about death, I'm not simply talking about physical death, although that is certainly true. I'm also talking about spiritual death. I'm talking about eternal separation from God all through eternity, that spiritual death. And whenever we sin as a single act, I want you to see that God says there's a process And the process is unpacked for us in James chapter number 1. I want you to see the process that sin takes place in our life. The process that leads us from being tempted to sin to eventually sinning in our life. It doesn't just, it's not, oh, the devil made me do it. You know, that's, that's a lame excuse, okay? There is a process in this temptation and that leads to sin, which ultimately leads to death. The first thing I want you to see, step number one in the process is this. It's one word, desire. There is a desire in your heart, and it plays with the emotions of man. So write down the word desire, and right out beside it, write down the word in parentheses, emotions. It really plays on the emotions of the individual. Look in James chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. I looked up the word desire in Webster's dictionary. Most of us all know what that word means, but let me tell you what Webster says. It says, a longing for something that promises enjoyment or satisfaction. There's some synonyms for the word desire, and it's appetite or craving or itch or lust or passion or urge. Now, I do not want you to get the normal, natural God-given desires confused with these other desires, okay? There must be balance in our life. The God-given natural desires that we have in and of themselves are not sinful. But what happens is Satan comes and he picks up on those God-given desires that we have and he tempts us to take those even further than what God wants us to take those. Let me give you an example. We think about these normal desires. One of the desires is feeling hungry and this desire to eat something. You see, unless we felt hunger and thirst, then we would never eat or drink and we would eventually die. Okay? So a desire for food, which is one of the things that Satan tempted Eve with and tempted Jesus with, The natural desire for that in and of itself is not sinful, nor is it evil. Because if we didn't have that desire, we'd never eat, we'd never drink, we would die, right? Another example is fatigue. 
Without fatigue, the body would never rest and we would eventually wear out. Another desire is sex. Sex is a natural desire that God has given us. Because, because it is a normal desire, without the desire for sex, the human race would cease to exist. Right? But what happens is, is when we want to satisfy these desires way outside of God's will and God's plan for our life. Let me give you an example. The problem is, whenever we have the desire of eating, I want you to know that the the desire of eating is normal. But gluttony is a sin. Right? The Bible teaches us that overeating, overindulging is sinful. So gluttony is a sin. But it comes out of the natural desire to eat. Are you tracking with me here this morning? Another example we see is sleep. Sleep and rest is normal. The desire that we have to sleep is normal. But I want you to understand that laziness, sleeping all the time, laying around all the time, resting all the time, is sinful. Are you tracking with me? Isn't it amazing how Satan picks up on these God-given natural desires that he has and he exploits them? And whenever that takes place, that's when the sin begins to take place. So it starts with this desire. What about sex? It's a normal, God-given desire so that we would carry out his plan to procreate. But I want you to understand that Satan, we know he gets a hold of this and he exploits it. Sex within marriage is normal. But sex outside of marriage is sinful. Adultery is sinful. Fornication is sinful. Any sex outside of marriage is blatant sin in the sight of God. And we as people must repent of that. Hello? But these are natural desires, you say. I have a desire for her. Or she may say, I have a desire for him. Well then, honey, get married. And then jump in the sack and it's okay. All right? Get a ring on your finger. Right? Matter of fact, Paul says that. He says, I wish you'd be single. Single. And by the way, I believe there is a gift of singleness that God gives people today. And, and those that are single, I talked to Carlos, I talked to my son Tyler, and all these other young adults that are single. I want you to understand, it may not be God's will for you to marry It may be God's will for you to stay single so you can just devote your whole life to ministry without any side distractions or responsibilities whatsoever. That's what Paul said. But, he said, if you have a desire for sexual activity, he said it's better to marry than to burn. What is he saying? Get married. Okay? That's what he's saying. And I hope these guys today have a desire for that. And I hope ladies have a desire for the opposite sex. I'm, I'm just bum-fuzzled when same-sex desire is taking place. That just blows me away. Hello? So, guys, I want you to know it's a good thing if you have a desire to be with a woman. That's a good thing. That's natural desire. And ladies that are single, that are single, key word, if you're married and you have that desire, you're sinning. Okay? The single ladies, if you have a desire to be with a guy, I want you to understand that's normal. 
But the only way you can fulfill that desire in a way that's pleasing unto God is when you are married. If you're having any sexual activity outside of marriage, I want you to know that you have succumbed to the temptation that Satan brings us, and that will lead ultimately to death. You say, but we're having so much fun. Sure, the Bible says you will. There's pleasure in sin for a season. But it will lead to physical, ultimately to spiritual death. It will actually even lead to death of the relationship. There's so much destruction ahead of you if you stay down that track. And how in the world can we ask God to bless a union when there's sinful sexual activity taking place in the relationship? We can't. Are you all with me this morning? Man, I'm just, I'm just really on point number one, part number one. Okay? I may just get point number one preached this morning. I don't know. Maybe I need to stretch this one out a little bit. Hebrews 13 and 4 says this, Marriage must be respected by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled. Why? Because God will judge immoral people and adulterers. No, I didn't say that. God said that. Okay? So why am I going to sit up here and give you the heed and the warning that sex outside of marriage is sinful and you better stop it, you better repent of it? Because God said he's going to judge you. Hey, that's one of, the, one of the ways that we overcome temptations when we realize the judgment of God if we practice and carry on in that sin. Okay, so it starts with our desire. <laughs> now, get, let me, before I leave that, let me, let me just say this. Some people try to spiritualize their lives. And they try to suppress these desires. You know, whether it be for food or whether it be for rest or whether it be for sexual activity. And they try to suppress these God-given desires, thinking that will make them more spiritual. It doesn't make you more spiritual. It makes you less human. Right? Because those desires are given to us by God. Matter of fact, I believe these are some fundamental desires of life that I like to call, it's the steam in the boiler. Okay? Now get this. The steam in the boiler is what makes the machinery run. Okay? Turn off the steam, you have no power. Let the steam go on its own, you have destruction. The secret is there must be constant control on the steam that's in the boiler room. The steam is in reference to the desires that we have. We must always be monitoring the desires. If we suppress the desires, we lose the power. We become less human. We become really of no use whatsoever. But if we let the desires of the steam go uncontrolled, we're headed for destruction. Our life is getting ready to explode. And it's going to hurt a whole lot of people all around us. You get the picture. So step number one is what? Desire. And it has to do with the emotion of the individual. Step number two is this. In the process of sin, step number two is deception. Now, out beside that, in parentheses, I want you to write the word intellect. Because it really starts with the emotion of the individual. It starts with those God-given desires that he gives us. And it comes from our heart and it comes up about six or eight inches to the mind. And now we start thinking on it. And, and the deception starts to start playing around with it. And now it's in the intellect of man. It's in the realm of reason. It's in the realm of rationalizing. It's in the realm of thinking about. Okay? 
deception. Look what the Bible says in James 1 and 14, and I'll show you deception. But each person is tempted when he is, here comes deception, drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. There's your deception. When you are drawn away. I want you to understand, guys, no temptation ever appears as a temptation. Right? I mean, you look at, let's just be honest, the very best commercials on TV are the alcohol commercials. Right? You know what they show you? They show you the very best at the beginning because they won't show you the car scene where someone was drunk driving and they took out a family of five in a minivan and there were five or eight or however many killed and the devastation and the harm and the destruction that takes place from drunkenness. You won't ever see, you'll never see Mr. Budweiser, Mr. Anheuser Bush out of St. Louis show you a Budweiser commercial where the reason for the devastation and the death of innocent people is drunkenness and drunk drive. You'll never see that on a Super Bowl commercial. So temptation's never going to come to you in a way where it says, Hey, I'm temptation. I lead to destruction. Come follow me. We'll all die together and go to hell. It's never going to come like that. Are you with me this morning? Am I being too blunt, too straight? I just want you to get it. It starts with the human desires. It then leads to deception. Now we're thinking about it. It's talk, messing around with the intellectual side. I want you to look. In the Greek, the Greek word for, for drawn away and the Greek word for, for enticed, it carries the idea of baiting a trap or baiting a hook. Now I know we've got fishermen. I know Dave's a big fisherman and we've got several other that are big fishermen. And I'm from the mountains of North Carolina, and trout fishing was our thing, and fly fishing especially. And, and I used to do quite a bit of that when I lived in the mountains. We'd just pick a rod out, and there was a trout stream that went right by my house, and there were brown trout that were in that stream all the time. And matter of fact, there was a trout stream that went right by our church, and the men of our church would actually stand out by the parking lot in the stream, and, and they'd pull their fishing pole out of the back of their truck, and they'd catch a few trout right before church, come in, sing, How I Love Jesus, go home, clean the fish, eat, eat fish. Okay? I mean, that's kind of how it went. I mean, they were, they were just there. And I had one deacon in our church, and he's now gone on to be with the Lord, but his name was Clyde Jones. And, and man, he could make some amazing lures. And that's why he was retired, and so he was the guy that everybody went to when you need to buy a good fly for trout fishing. You'd go to Clyde Jones. And you'd go to him, and in his little room where he made these lures, he'd pull them out, go to his house, say, hey, preacher, you want to see my lures? And I'd go in there. He'd lay them all out. I mean, beautiful. But you know what you couldn't, could never see on these lures? The hook. Beautiful lures. I mean, different colors for different time of day and different water temperatures. He had all this stuff figured out. But I'm looking at, man, these things are so enticing. They're so beautiful to look at. The deception is there. And the one thing that you never saw on these fishing lures was the hook. But you would, the fish would take that lure, thinking that it was beautiful, thinking that it was very attractive, thinking that it was food to fulfill the natural desire that the fish had to do, to feed, and boom, he was snatched by that hook. That's what James is talking about here. 
in James 1 and 14, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed. I want you to know that temptation always carries with it some bait. And the bait is to our natural desires that I just unpacked for you. The bait not only attracts us, but I want you to understand that it hides. It hides the devastation. It hides the death. It hides the hook. It hides the consequences of taking that bait. All right? The deception is there. I look back through the Bible and I look at men who fell in the Bible into sin. I think about Lot. Back in the Old Testament, guys, do you realize that Lot and his family would have never settled in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? Had he not had the choice, and Abraham said, Lot, you go one way, I'll go to another, pick whatever direction you want to go. And Lot looked around, and he saw the well-watered plains of Jordan. Natural beauty. But it drew him that direction. You know what was just beyond the well-watered plains of Jordan? Sodom and Gomorrah, the city of sin and evil. Lot would have never went there had he not looked up and saw Sodom or the well-watered plains of Jordan and moved his family that way. I also think not only about Lot, but I think about David. King David, you remember when he committed adultery, sin with Bathsheba? Matter of fact, on a sidebar, he should have never been at home. I mean, his men were all out at battle. The kings always went out with their men to battle. And I don't know why. Maybe he was being lazy. Hello? He should have never been at home, but there he was at home. And, and you think about David. He would have never committed adultery had he been able to see the tragic consequences of fulfilling this God-given natural desire for sex, but he took it way beyond what he was supposed to take it. And if he would have seen the tragic consequences, the consequences of something like the death of his son, the death of a baby, you remember that? The consequences of the murder of a, of a brave soldier. The consequences of violation of his daughter Tamar, which all became to be because of his sinful activity. Had David seen all of that? I think he'd have been on the battlefield where he was supposed to be. He would have been. But he was lured. He was enticed. He was drawn away. And he didn't see the hook. And it got him. You see, the bait keeps us from seeing the consequences of sin. So there's deception. Step number three. Get this one. Step number three in the process of sin is disobedience. It's the act of the will. Okay? We started with the emotions, desire. It then comes to the intellect, which is deception. And it now comes to blatant disobedience. Which is the will of man. You see, at some point, and that's why I say the excuse the devil made me do it, did it, that won't hold water with God. Okay? It just won't. 
Because there comes a place where you exercise your free will to do whatever it is that you're doing. And here's where the blatant disobedience comes. Look in verse number 15 of James chapter 1. It says, Then after desire has conceived, it now gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. We've moved from the emotions, the desire, to the intellect, the deception, to the will, which is disobedience. I want you to see that desire conceives a method for taking the bait. And the will approaches and acts, and the result ultimately is sin. Guys, I want you to know that the Christian life that we live, it really is a matter of the will and not a matter of emotions. You see, I've heard Christians say, well, I just don't feel like reading my Bible. It doesn't matter whether you feel like it or not. It's a matter of the will. Will you be obedient? Well, I just don't feel like going to church today. It's not a matter of whether you feel like it or not. It's a matter of whether you're going to be obedient because we're told in Hebrews 10.25 not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much more as you see the day approaching. So it all comes down into our lesson this morning of obedience. You say, well, I just don't really, I just don't really feel like I, I should tithe. It's not a matter of feeling. It really comes down to obedience. It's an act of the will. And here's what I do know, because I've raised two. I do know that children operate on the basis of feeling. Right? I remember the old, uh, I mean, you guys remember Little Rascals? By the way, I'm only going to preach number one, point number one. I I don't have time for point two, three, and four. Okay? So I'm going to be done here in just a minute so I can tell this story. How many remember the Little Rascals? You watch the Little Rascals growing up? You You remember Spanky? Man, don't, don't you, didn't you just love Spanky? I remember Spanky's laying in bed one morning and, and his mother's saying, you know how she said it? She said, Spanky! You, you remember that on TV? And she yelled out for Spanky and he's like, oh no, mom, I don't feel good this morning. I don't feel good. And he didn't want to go to school. And she said, Spanky! Get up! No, mom, I just don't feel good this morning. I don't want to go to school. And she said, but Spanky! It's Saturday. You remember the episode? What did Spanky immediately do? Man, he threw the covers down. He jumped up out of bed. He said, Saturday? Now he felt like getting up, but really it was an act of the will. He realized it was Saturday. It had nothing to do with feeling good or not. Guys, that's the same way. I look at us as, as a church, and I you know, counsel Christians and talk with Christians, and, and I see it's the immature Christian that always judges everything they do by their feelings. You know what, you know what I would just simply say? Grow up. If you want counseling one-on-one in two words, and you don't even need a session for it, I'll save you an hour and me an hour. Grow up. Right? We don't, we don't operate on the basis of feelings. We operate on the basis of obedience. So we're either going to be obedient or disobedient. It's the will of the individual, which leads us then to step number four in the process. And I've already shared that with you. It's death. So there's desire. There's deception. There's disobedience, which then leads to death. James 1 and 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin 
And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Another scripture that would support this scripture would be Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of life is eternal through the Lord Jesus Christ. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Disobedience. Disobedience gives birth to death, not life. Disobedience gives birth to death. So whenever you're faced with temptation, point number one is to consider God's judgment. I've got two more that I want to unpack, but I've got to stop. I really don't have time to get into those because I want to do them justice. So I may just come back next week and unpack point two and point three with some facts that we're to consider in order to overcome temptation. This time of Lent, I hope and pray you're giving some serious thought to the suffering, to the crucifixion, and then to the resurrection of our Lord. These are the, are the days going into what really solidifies our faith. Christmas is wonderful. And... The old saying is, Christmas is the promise. Easter is the proof. Christmas is the promise of the Messiah coming. But Easter and the resurrection is the proof that he was the Messiah. So as we're going into this season, these 40 days that's called the Lenten season, that commemorate the suffering and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, The 40 days have to do with the 40 days that he was in the wilderness. Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted. I want you to think about when you're tempted. And Jesus withstood the temptation through the word of God. But I want you to see the process of temptation. And Satan, listen, Satan's not smart enough to come up with anything new. He's going to use what God's already created and try to exploit it. Okay? So he is going to feast off your God-given natural desires. We've got to guard that. And be sure that's kept in balance with the teachings and the principles of the Word of God. Let us pray. Father, Father, I had full intentions of going a lot further in this message today. But I feel that I have spoken what you've laid on my heart. And God, I pray what I have shared this morning will be beneficial to those that have listened. And God, I realize that the very best that I can do is to reach their ears. That's as far as I can take it. As I study, as I prepare, as I deliver this message the very best that I'm able to do and as far as I personally can go is to their ears and Father I've done my very best to deliver what I feel you've laid on my heart today and how I stand here totally dependent upon the Spirit of God to take the words that I have spoken and pierce the heart Martin Luther prayed many years ago that the Spirit of God would take the spoken Word of God and 
make us all more like the Son of God. Father, that's my prayer today. Lord, there may be someone here struggling with temptation, struggling with sin. Maybe some here that are just still in sin. Father, I just pray that you would help each one of them to see that the end of the road for them is destruction and death. Physical, yes, but more so spiritual death. Father, if there's one here today that's God, you've fingered around their heart and Lord, you have convicted them of of sin today. I pray that right now, right where they're sitting, they don't need to do anything but just do business with you right now. That right this very moment, they would call out to you and ask for forgiveness. And your word says that if we ask for forgiveness, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, I pray for that one right now that's sitting in this congregation that needs to cry out to you and ask for forgiveness. I pray right now, God, that they would pray a prayer something like this. Say, dear God, you just whisper this prayer right now silently in your seat. Just do business with the Lord right now. Be serious. I'll pray the prayer. You just repeat it softly. Be sincere. Mean it from your heart to God. I'll lead you. Say, dear God, I realize that I have sinned. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are the Son of God. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. God, I believe that you laid all the sins of the world upon him at the cross. and That he was buried in a tomb. And he rose out of the tomb bodily after three days and... Now he's ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit to indwell our hearts and our spirits. And God, I believe that. I don't really understand it all, but God, I believe it. And right now I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. Because of the payment that Jesus paid on the cross. Forgive me. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I give you my life right now. I repent of my sins. Forgive me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God, I pray for that individual that may have spoken that prayer this morning. I ask you, God, to speak to their hearts and give them assurance of their their faith, of their salvation. Give them peace that passes all understanding. Help them, God, to know that you have forgiven them. That you are a gracious and a merciful God. Father, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, Fallon, Illinois. 
come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.